They're not playing. Yeah. Now it should be going in a couple seconds. Yeah. Yep. The tuning song, everybody's favorite. Yeah. Uh, if you could turn it on, the sound will be going in the. Okay. Um. Okay. I don't know actually if it's gonna work in here. Unless you just go to the desktop desktop output. Um if there is a like a desktop it needs to be coming from the desktop to okay cool awesome thanks okay cool goodbye Okay. That's pretty cool, man. That's very cool. I think we're doing it. Good. They're already live, so. Cool.
We got the mountains. We've got the water. You just can't see it. It's a block that way. It's so good to be back together again. We've gone from a scattered church to a distanced church. And it's fun to have you all be out there. Thank you, by the way, for uh, just observing all the rules. We worked all week with the county to get permission in the town to do this. And um, just very grateful that you are that you're here doing this. It's a good day, so let me remind you, keep your masks on, okay? Keep your distance, but you're doing a great job of that. Afterwards, we'll come back and explain about communion. We do have communion set up all around for the very last thing that we do. But in the meantime, we're so glad that you're here. Today's a special day. Uh, you know, all the amphitheaters run together, don't they, in your mind? Well, you're not going to forget this one. This is a unique one. In addition to that, we are honoring our graduates today. We have several graduates here with us, uh, couple, including a couple international graduates. So that'll be really fun. We'll bring them back up in just a little bit. But in the meantime, enjoy the music. Enjoy the singing. I'd have you hug one another, but I might get in trouble. You might see me in jail if I do that. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hold them in Virtual jail. Hugs. <laughs> enjoy the worship. We'll come back in a minute and talk about the word. So if you guys uh, haven't uh, been informed, you can access the words on your phones. If you uh, go to that email that was sent out, there's a link to the Dillon Community uh, site, and you can have access to those if you didn't print them out. So. 
And there are two bathrooms. There's one right over here that you guys can use, and there's you can use the ones inside the sanctuary. Should be recording too. One person at a time in the bathrooms, and that should be pretty easy. Yeah, and if you need like hand sanitizers and stuff, they're all on the tables. So.
Don Wolf, thank you so much for sending this next song. I was, he, he made a reference to this hymn, and I love it. And, uh, and as is my want, I have a tendency to rearrange these things, but um, <laughs> I love it, so thank you. Do I add affliction? 
have no idea how that happened. Oh, there we go. All right. Whose phone is that? Who is the right mind? It's kind of a good lesson, and it's a spiritual lesson that you can all take away today. When you're pointing your finger at somebody. All right. So um, I want to play. We're going to play this song. It's it's based on the 23rd Psalm which uh, I was raised with as a child. And it's stuck with me, it's fantastic. And my phone, I don't know what's going on. Turn it off, dude, here, I'll take it. It's a spiritual interruption, I don't know. No, uh, I don't know what's going on. But yeah, so 23rd Psalm, and uh, it's, it's raucous, and I hope you guys enjoy it.
We're going to have Jim come on up and we're going to celebrate our graduates. So he's walking his way around now. Now all the graduates come up. All right, so if you are a graduate and you're out there, make your way up here. Right? No, they're going to steal Rob's work okay. tonight. You know, there are times in life when uh, it's worth stopping and celebrating. Isn't that great? I just love it. And graduation is one of those times. They had a very strange graduation this year, as you can imagine. Not like any other graduation in the last several years, or none of our graduations. And most of it was done virtually. And so we wanted to honor them. Our students that we know, uh, two of them I want to go ahead and introduce to you right now because Stefan doesn't know them, but I do. The, uh, on the very end, Sam, raise your hand. And there's Anna, raise your hand. They are twins and uh, they are from Mozambique. <laughs> Their uh, father, in fact, uh, there's Isaias right there. Stand up, Isaias and Kezia. Isaias is the president of the school that I teach at every September in Mozambique when I travel there. And both of them are here completing their PhDs. And so, yeah, really smart family. <laughs> really smart family. You get to wear one of these one day, Kezia. <laughs> And then uh, Sam and Anna just graduated from high school, so we had them over for dinner last night, and I found out, and I said, well, they need to be up here as well. And so um, uh, Stefan's going to introduce the rest of them. But, you know, one of the things when Stefan and I sat down and put together what we wanted to say on the certificate, we know these guys. We know them. Even you guys from afar, because I talk to your dad all the time, and I know about your faithfulness. I know what you've done. And uh, very, very proud of you. Very proud. Can't tell you that enough. Uh, many of you have already had coffee or lunch or something with over the years. And just a very grateful. So, Stefan, you get to introduce them. First up, Anna Conford. Anna, well, hold on. we got to tell them about Brittany. Brittany here. Brittany is the principal at the high school. So, she's going to get in there to film us. It's awesome. So, it's like official. Well, not officially official. Yeah. So, Anna, what are you going to do next year? I'm going to attend Colorado State University. Woo! Go Rams! I've known Anna since she was, like, really small. It's been so awesome. This is great. Hannah, this is Hannah Anderson. Hannah's got her diploma. Hannah Anderson, what are you going to do next year? Stephanie, you're running out of courts. So I haven't come to you. Yeah, so you guys are going to have to come over here. So Misha's up next. Misha, let's see, where's Misha's? We have a gift and a diploma for Misha. This is it here. Misha, what are you going to do next year? I'm going to Colorado College. 
such a blessing to be part of their lives and have them be part of my life, big part of my life. Super honored. Thank you for working in their lives and in our lives and um, generating some energy and some love and help that keep growing and guide them and guide us and help them become the amazing leaders that you have them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anna, come on up here. Give her the mic. Now, we're not supposed to do much in the way of public response. Um, and so we're going to do it. The two of us are going to read Psalm 136. Put your mask back on, those of you that took them off. You know how this works. And then you can say the refrain quietly to yourself. The refrain is very easy. His love endures forever. This is talking about the faithfulness of the Lord. This is what they quoted at the dedication of the temple when the Lord came down and built the temple. And uh, these young adults, they're joining us on the ranks of adulthood. We're so glad you're here. So I'll read and you give the refrain. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. 
give thanks to the Lord of Lords, to him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, to him who divided the sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. Og, king of Bashan gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our lowest state and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to God of heaven. Hofmeister is one of our elders who's going to come pray for us. Father God, we just thank you for a glorious day in your creation. We thank you for this congregation and how we are able to worship you, whether we're inside or outside, whether we're uh, locked up in our homes, whether we're at the post office or the grocery store. Thank you, Father. And I just pray for these graduates, Lord. I pray that you will continue to give them your wisdom, that you will look over them for safety, and you will lead them where they want, where you want them to go, and they will remain faithful to their faith. Thank you, Father, for this community of believers. I pray for all who are suffering physically or mentally, I pray, Father, that your spirit will lead us into uh, a state of being able to worship together again. I pray for the nation, that you will look over our leaders, that you will give them your wisdom. Thank you, Father, for Pastor Jim. We pray that his message today will penetrate our hearts, and we will be able to have some new things to go forward in this week. And as we pray, Father, as a congregation, I'd like you to join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You know, with uh, graduates like these, those of us that are older, we got nothing to worry about. Isn't that right? Let's say it. Let's honor them one more time. Thanks, guys. So we're all in this crazy boat ride right now. Here's a song that kind of reflects the idea of riding the river.
So when we're all in the same boat, we can treat each I other as uh, best we can, because you know that boat's getting really small. So with that, uh, Jim, come on up and uh, let us hear what you have to say. <coughs> and hopefully it's the same thing that he wants you to say. That would be better nice. be. It better be. <laughs> okay. If you walk up to somebody today and you were to ask them, believe in God, what are the answers typically? Yes or no. Right? Uh, that's typically the answer. Should I switch to that mic? Typically, the answer would be yes or no. If you had asked that question uh, in the first century, most people would look at you like, what is wrong with you? You want a little more? You gotta... I'm good. It's hard to even understand what you mean by the question. Because they didn't think that way of a God or not yeah. a God. That's even in today's I'll world, check it in there. Um, you can ask an atheist and they'll say no. The assumption behind the question is that there's one God. But in the first century, that's not really the way it was. In the first century, there were many, many, many gods. And in order to... Um, I'm going to speak to the graduates as well as all of you. It helps to understand just a little bit of the first century context. We're in a series... Oh yeah, before I forget, we were never together for Easter, were we? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. That's right. Okay. So it, it's helpful to understand what was happening in the first century world. We're doing a series for the summer called A Different Kind of Faith. And what I want you to understand is what does Christianity bring to the table, bring to the discussion that is wonderful, that is helpful. Because Christianity definitely gets a bad name. There's no question about that. We get a lot of criticism. A lot of stereotypes are formed. We're represented a certain way in the media. And that's fine. We can live with it. But I want you to understand what are the things that we actually bring to the discussion that are wonderful. Okay. And one of them has to do with uh, the way God steps into a world of gods and what he does with that. So in the first century world, you see, they didn't think of in terms of religion. That's not what they thought of. For us, religion is something that you can choose to do or not choose to do. We come to church. That's our religious practice. That's not really how they conceived of it. Religion was so interwoven with their belief system, they couldn't separate it out. It's actually like that in many other parts of the world now. It wasn't something that we choose to do on Sunday. It's a very description of who we are as people. In all the different regions in the Roman Empire, they had their gods. Um, but that's okay. They weren't afraid of the other gods. They would worship them. So if they go to visit their uncle, they would worship those gods. And so everything they did was to demonstrate piety toward the gods. Everything. The festivals, the parties, the, the uh, shrines, the altars, the priests, um, sacrifices. And yet this, this fledgling religion, Christianity, had none of that. We didn't have temples. We didn't have priests. We didn't have any of those things. 
And so that right off the bat caused them to scratch their heads because, well, how do you, how do you worship a God or gods or multiple gods? Furthermore, what do you do when you worship the gods? We've said all along, you've heard me say several times that, that one of the things we tried to do was uh, back then, they tried to placate the gods, not emulate them. They were looking for something from the gods, and so their sacrifices were a gift to the gods so that the gods would do something in return. And all of a sudden you have this small group rising up in the Roman Empire that didn't think that way. They didn't think that way. They believed that uh, if they didn't appropriately worship the gods, then they would uh, the gods would bring destruction on them perhaps. Disease. Those kinds of things. And so it was very important to do that. It was tied to politics because the, uh, the emperor himself represented the gods and you had the Roman imperial cult. And so failure to uh, bow down and pay homage to these gods and wherever you happen to be was a political statement. It's really wild how culture has come so far. Our political statements today aren't about the gods, are they? And that's what they did. And so you have this group of people rising up that had come to know what we refer to as the one true living God. Yes, we are exclusive in that regard. They did not comprehend it. What they did comprehend was the failure of the Christians to come to the festivals and bow down to the gods. That's what they did understand. And that was a political statement. And furthermore, it was a statement that frightened them. Because what if that made the gods angry? And what if the gods brought disease, pestilence, sickness, things of that, all because the Christians wouldn't bow down and worship? So you can imagine the pressure that they were under every day. Maybe they would go to their business and people wouldn't come honor them. They wouldn't honor their business. Maybe they wouldn't show them respect. Eventually they grew so large, maybe they would begin to execute them, punish them, torture them, to get them to stop. We have letters back and forth between the the, uh, emperors and some of the leaders, the local governors, on how to try to get Christianity to stop. Because... They didn't worship the same gods. So just picture that with me just for a moment. They had no problem if Christianity brought another god into the mix. In fact, in Acts 17 at Athens, Paul talked about his god, and they said, ooh, we're kind of curious. This is a new way of thinking. We want to come back and hear you. And they were okay with it as long as he wasn't exclusive. The moment that he said, all these other gods are not gods at all, now he got his attention. He got their attention. And they were very opposed to it. So Paul got beat more often than not for making that kind of claim everywhere he went in the first century world. Partly it scared people. It was a political statement. It was all about life. They couldn't conceive of one God. They couldn't conceive of that. And so the Christians found themselves in a very interesting place. Um, They had...
that's trickled down now over the centuries in our doctrinal state. We believe in 10 statements. Those are what we call essential. We'll agree. We'll express unity and agreement. Anything outside those 10 statements, we have freedom to discuss and debate, to disagree with one another. But in all things, we'll show love. That comes from the early church where they had to make the decision, what am I willing to die for? Willing to die for the Trinity? Absolutely. Am I willing to die for whether we hand you communion, pass communion? No. You all come from different traditions, and you know what I'm talking about. All the different practices we bring from our different traditions are the things we're not willing to die for. So what that meant was they had to figure out, and this is where I'm now talking to the graduates, because the adults here already know this road, they had to figure out what they were willing to compromise for the sake of the gospel. Scholars call that accommodation. God accommodates us. It's a good technical term, but, but it may help you to think of it more in compromise. You see, the Bible is one long story, grand story, that's comprised of thousands of sub-stories that all have something in common. God was willing to compromise for the sake of the gospel. At no time did he want genocide. That was never part of his heart. But he stepped into the world at a time when genocide was practiced and began to regulate it. At no time did he want sexual abuse or any of those things, but that was part of the world. And he stepped into that. At no time did he want women to be considered property. Never. But he stepped into the world at that time when they were considered property and began to redeem it. At no time did he want children to be the lowest form of social structure. The lowest form. If they brought dishonor on you, you could, some places in the world you could execute them. No, he didn't want that. And so you see Jesus taking a child, showing them what value looks like. At no time did he want differences in adultery. The way it was defined for a man is different than the way it was defined for a woman. That goes back to the whole polygamy and ownership of women. And by the time we get to Jesus, that's all being untangled and straightened out. So everywhere you go in this wonderful book, you see God compromising because of his love for us. That's what he was doing. To get us to a better place. That's why the authors of the New Testament can say such things as let your behavior be so good that when the, the Gentiles, the pagans, those who don't believe like we do, when they look at us, at least they can say those are good people. In fact, the very first apologetic of the early church was why are you, why are you persecuting us? We don't steal your wives. We don't cheat on our business or taxes. We pay our dues. We're good citizens. By the way, that's why I asked all of you to come and distance and wear a mask. I know that not all of you agree with it. I don't understand the science myself. But I do know this. I care about the people that are watching up there. There were a few a little bit ago. People over here. I care about them. I care about the relationship with our county. If you read my email, we have 100 years of good collaboration with our local leaders. And I want them to remember that. 
I don't want to be the one to shake the fist and say, I'm going to do what we want. Because for me, the heart of this is compromise for the sake of the gospel. And I'm willing to compromise. So the the stories in Scripture all have that theme in common. And graduates, you're going to have to learn how to navigate that. You're going to have to learn to ask the question, what am I willing to die for? And what does it look like to maintain faith and navigate the rest of that? I'm going to give you one example. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a little long, but it's in 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 8. It's talking about food sacrifice to idols. So we're in Corinth. Big temple. Lots of sacrifice going on. All these new converts coming in. Should we be able to eat the meat sacrificed to the idols or not? What do we do? And by the way, this is a, a problem all throughout, not just this, but the whole question of compromise really is found all throughout the New Testament as they're navigating the different cultures. Corinthians are written to the Greeks. Romans are written to Italians. Titus is written to Crete, Mediterranean island culture. You have the churches in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. And so they're navigating very complex cultural practices and beliefs which are tied to both politics and religion. So here's what he says in Corinth, beginning of chapter 8. Now about food sacrificed to idols, so that's what we're talking about. Verse 4, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. There's the truth. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, lords, we have that today, don't we? It's just not in the form of idols, not idols you put on yourself. Some people worship money. Some people worship power. We still have the same question today, just in a different form. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Verse 8, verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, just before that, in verse 7, he says, Not everyone possesses this knowledge about the one Lord, the one God. Think of the new converts coming into the church who just a week before were bowing down to gods and practicing in the temples. All of a sudden they walk in. What are they going to think? Some people are still so accustomed, he goes on in verse 7, to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. That's not bad. It's not a statement of bad. It's a statement of just a week ago, they were worshiping in a temple, and now all of a sudden they're here, scratching their heads, trying to make sense of what we're doing. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? What he means here is they're, they're eating with the wrong thinking. 
So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you actually sin against Christ. It's a good thing for us to remember as we're trying to navigate the complexities of our world. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not curse them to fall. This is the introduction to the famous, on the night that he was betrayed. You know the rest of the story, don't you? He took the bread and broke it. A little bit later on, just before he quotes those words, in chapter 10, verse 14, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? It is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? And because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. A couple verses later, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to rouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? You see, this is Paul's way of guiding these young Corinthian believers, mature believers, and these brand new ones through a very complex question. Is it wrong to eat the meat offered idols? No, because there's no other God. But yet in their thinking, for some of them, there is. And therefore, this is one of those many places where he's asking them to compromise for the sake of conscience, much like we are doing today for some of you. This is compromise. He goes on a little bit later when he gets in chapter 14. I'm going to finish with this. talks about tongues. Very interesting. This is how I think of church. talks about how to regulate the use of tongues. If the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? I pulled that verse in because I want you to see that this discussion on compromise has to do with each other. What do we do with each other to honor each other and put each other first, no matter where your conscience is, no matter what you may or may not know about theology and God? But then he goes one step further and he assumes, he makes the assumption that there's going to be those who do not believe in Jesus coming into your midst to observe. We have that at the amphitheater every year. Some of you have seen me, for example, do something like this. I don't do it very often, but every now and then, maybe once a year. If you don't believe in Jesus or you don't know where you stand, when we have communion, come stand next to me and look in the eyes of everyone coming forward. Now, I can't do that anymore right now, but I have done that. And twice in my seven years, I've had somebody come and stand here and say, I don't think I believe in Jesus, but I want to do what you said. Just come stand and watch. And so then I say to them, watch what happens when they give. Because that's also an expression of their faith. Look in their eyes when they come forward. And uh, they've done that. He makes that assumption that we are here to navigate that that compromise, to navigate it well. What are we willing to die for and what are we willing to compromise on for the sake of each other and for the sake of all of our friends that live in the county who don't know what they believe or aren't sure or don't believe in Christianity? That's tough. For those of you that have walked with the Lord for many years, it's tough, isn't it? Find yourself at work 
When do you give in? When do you say no? Many, many years ago, I had a boss. Um, went on a trip together, came back, and he said, uh, I want you to put this on your expense statement. That'll justify putting his on his expense statement. And I had one of those moments of, am I willing to die for this? What does this look like? Am I just going to say, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not right. So I quickly prayed and said, okay, God, I need that wisdom that you talk about. <laughs> Which doesn't always come, by the way. Um, and what I said was, okay, I just have one question. If I lie for you, how will you know when I'm lying to you? And he said, you're absolutely right. Never mind. Don't do it. And neither one of us did. Uh, we're still friends to this day. And this is like 35 years, 30 years ago. So you're going to have to make those decisions. When are you going to compromise without losing your faith for the sake of the gospel? And when is it inappropriate to compromise? As pastors, we deal with this all the time. I can tell you that the reason why I asked you all to comply is we spent all week with the county officials um, working out the plan to be right here. Do you like being together? you like this? And I assured them that we would we would comply. Because then I want to go back and ask for variances and ask for more people and more people and more people. If the governor can have phase it in, why can't we? I got nothing to lose by asking, but I want to be able to say, look how we did it. And it was great. Because the tourists are going to be coming back and they're going to want to come. Thank you for complying. Thank you for willing to compromise, being willing to compromise for the sake of those who are compromised, vulnerable, sick, afraid, who don't know what they believe. It's very meaningful. Father, thank you for being a God who's so gracious to us. In my own personal life, thanks for compromising for me, for the sake of the gospel, putting up with my sin. so that I would come to know you and experience your grace. I'm very grateful. Help us as a church to do the same. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I'll be back up in just a second to tell you about communion. But in the meantime, Rob? We are going to do communion. See what happens when you get it all different than normal? Okay, let me tell you the way communion works. We have committed to doing touchless communion. You're still going to receive the blessing. Somebody is still going to say the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. We have a communion table right over here, one right there, one right there, and one right up here. And there will be an elder at each one. And you can come up and take the bread and the cup, either or both. It's up to you. And they will give you a blessing, but there's no touch except for you grabbing the element. Okay? The... Uh, I said a minute ago that this chapter is uh, introducing communion. 
This is one of those places where the early church said, we are going to put our foot down and we're going to make a statement that we believe in the one true living God. If you come into our midst, this is a statement of our belief in the gospel. We'll compromise on many areas, but not this one. And so then he regulates 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. That's Jesus. He's quoting Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant my blood something brand new brand new it's been quite a while since we've been together so I want everybody just to take just a very short period of time and let's just kind of clear out the clutter of the last three months okay the 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 fear of the pandemic, the frustration over the rules, the fear and uncertainty over all of the the protests that are going on. Let's just take a moment and clear clear the spirit. If you have sin to confess, just tell the Lord you're sorry. He's very gracious. But just focus on him for a second. And then we'll dismiss you to communion. that's so uncertain help us to look to you for confidence and assurance oh yes to do our part to be people of righteousness to serve one another um, but to look to you for confidence and faith and to look to you for a quiet spirit thank you again for your goodness for dying for us for remembering your promise and coming back for us and not forgetting us In the name of Jesus, we pray, because we believe in him. Amen. For those of you that would like to give an offering, there's an offering place to give at each table. For those of you that would like to celebrate communion, you can make your way to the communion tables on your way to the cars. And uh, with that, I hope you enjoy the peace of Christ today. You're dismissed.